Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk MedTech, the premier podcast for the medical device and diagnostics industry. My name is Omar Ford. On this episode of Let's Talk MedTech, we're going to be speaking with Dave Hadley. He's the Senior VP of Research and Development for Cardiac Insight. Now, Cardiac Insight is a digital healthcare innovation company specializing in the development of medical-grade body-worn ECG sensor technology and automated cardiac analysis solutions through its proprietary algorithms and software platforms. The company's products include the Cardia Solo wearable ECG sensor and software analysis system and the Cardia 2020 ECG, and resting ECG system designed for cardiac risk screening in young athletes at all levels of play. Dr. Hadley is the inventor of Cardia 2020, and we're going to be talking with him about the technology, about Cardiac Insight's role during COVID-19, and also about the surge in athlete screenings amid long-term COVID-19 cardiac risk concerns. It's going to be an awesome conversation. But before we begin, I just have to mention that Cardiac Insight was a finalist in this year's Medical Design Excellence Awards for the Cardia Solo ECG system. If you want to find out a list of winners and finalists and just how everyone performed as well as other content related to the Medical Design Excellence Awards, you can find that at mdeawards.com. That's mdeawards.com. And now, on to our conversation. Well, Dave, thanks for taking the time to speak with Let's Talk MedTech. Uh, so happy for you to be here with us. Thank you, Omar. It's a, it's a delight and a pleasure to, to join you on this call. Sure. Well, one of the first questions I, I had to ask was, wanted you to talk a little bit about Cardiac Insight and kind of get into the technology that uh, you all have developed. Could you kind of give me some background on the company and also on the Cardia 2020 ECG system? Yeah, I'd be thrilled to. Yes, um, Cardiac Insight uh, began several years ago from a vision of a doctor at UW Medicine that it might be possible to, um, to leverage the power of PCs and the small components that are now available for monitoring the heart to develop an ambulatory ECG uh, monitor. It was on that vision that the company was launched, and uh, that still is the, the main goal of the company. In terms of 2020, it has a somewhat longer history. Um, I was collaborating with a good friend and colleague down at Stanford, Dr. Vic Froelicher, and, uh, and Vic does all of the incoming screening for cardiovascular risk and health for the Stanford athletes and also for the 49ers. And as we were talking, Vic said, you know, history and physicals are not really very effective for identifying cardiovascular issues. And, um, and kids aren't dying of heart attacks. They're primarily dying of what I like to think of as electrical storms or electrical problems, which ECG is really well suited. Mm -hmm. But um, the false positive rate on ECGs has historically been 15 to 25 percent. And you can't really build a screening program when every fourth or fifth kid has to have a lot of follow-up. So ECGs have generally been discounted. 
But um, Vic felt that there was really a lot of room for using um, the electrical signals from the heart to identify kids at risk. And so we started a two-prong approach. One was to um, improve the criteria. Most of the criteria that developed for ECG analysis was really focused on an older population, you know, looking at things that lead up to um, plumbing problems, not electrical. So we, we started a national, international um, work on improving ECG criteria for kids. That resulted in an initial paper in circulation, one of the major journals of the American Heart Association on what are the appropriate criteria used for, for screening young people. In parallel, we knew that the criteria by itself would not really get off the ground unless there was a device that implemented the criteria that was low cost, easy to use, and highly accurate. And so we, uh, we put our monies together and started a small company to, uh, to build that device. And we actually got it through the FDA in 2013. In parallel with that, uh, there was a lot of continued work on refining the criteria. Much of that has been led by Dr. Dresner and Dr. Harmon here at the University of Washington here in Seattle. And uh, that has culminated in what's now called the International Consensus Criteria, um, adopted truly around the world for screening youth. Because 2020 is PC-based, we were able to continuously keep the software in sync with the improving criteria. And now um, our abnormal rate is not 15 to 25%, but our current abnormal rate is about 1.5% for females, about 2% for males, and about 2.5% for African Americans which pretty closely parallels the ratios of, of sudden cardiac arrest. Women are at the lowest end and African-American males are at the highest. So this is a, this is a 10x improvement. Um, the, the old myth that uh, ECGs were not particularly useful for screening is, um, is now obsolete. Um, 2020 is the only device that implements the international criteria we did a lot of things to improve accuracy uh, in the algorithms and in the electronics. It's a highly effective digital system um, for identifying youth at risk, and it works quite well. We're, I'm thrilled that we're out there saving lives with something that uh, we can teach, actually volunteers, to, to get a high-quality ECG recording in about 10 minutes. Oh, interesting, interesting. Now, Oh, I'm sorry, you asked me a larger question. So in sure. about 2015, um, I was in need of a sales team and Cardiac Insight um, had a sales team and they hadn't completed the product. So I joined Cardiac Insight in 2015 and together we used a lot of the technologies from 2020. Those were the foundations for what is now in Solo. So Solo is built on a robust um, well-tested suite of algorithms and electronics that, that had its roots in the 2020 system. Yeah, interesting, interesting. What I want to talk about now is there seems to be, 2020 seemed to be a year where we really saw an increased rate of sales for your technology, especially when it came to, to young athletes with conditions for at-risk um, sudden cardiac arrest. Yes. What seems to be driving this? Uh, what, what, what happened in 2020? Well, I think, um, I think two things. Yeah. 
There's a growing recognition that ECG screening is cost effective. And, um, you know, through our promotions, but I think probably mostly through word of mouth and endorsements by some well-recognized groups, ECG screening is, is being adopted widely across the country. Um, our very, one of our very first clients was actually the Brewers baseball team, and they would put it in a suitcase, very small device, and take it to South America. Wow. Uh, when they were recruiting. And, and now we, we have 2020 used extensively in the NCAA, throughout many, many professional sports teams, um, clinics, high schools. And there's a whole cadre of foundations that are dedicated to heart health and youth, typically founded by a parent who lost a child of sudden death. So I think what we've seen this year is a continuation of that adoption and growth. I think we've reached a tipping point where it's starting to be widely endorsed and embraced. To be sure, I think um, COVID also had a, had a real impact. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the early clinical presentations of COVID, I think we all know that COVID has been insidious and, and infects and, and causes problems in all the organs of the body. Yeah. Some of the early work um, suggested that there was significant inflammation of the heart or myocarditis. Um, and so there was a great deal of concern about the heart and, and some of the pathways, um, the ACE pathways are critical in the heart and that appeared to be the entryway for COVID. So there were a lot of studies launched and um, given our large population of users, we already had a lot of ECGs on athletes throughout the country. And so there was a large effort to do um, a serial comparison or collect updated ECGs to compare pre and with COVID. Um, and so I think that also helped this year in, in the sales is there's a lot of interest in collecting more information to try to understand how COVID was in fact um, impacting these, these young players. Interesting, interesting, interesting. I, you know, COVID-19, you're right, it is an insidious uh, virus and disease. And we're we're at the very beginning of this to find out how it impacts uh, us at a longer, I mean, at a, you know, over the long term. And I think it's just amazing that we're seeing it pop up in so many places where you really wouldn't think it would, but but it does. Um, have you um, have you all seen any more growth or, or any more evidence uh, uh, towards it impacting the heart, the heart function, or anything else that you could kind of speak to or toward? Yes, actually, that's a very timely question. Um, a study was launched with uh, Dr. Dresner here at the UW in collaboration with uh, Dr. Baggish, Aaron Baggish, um, back at um, Mass General, um, looking at uh, ECGs um, for athletes. Um, over a fairly broad range of demographics and age and sports and so forth. Um, I think it's probably the most thorough report that I've seen to date. And um, although we all had a great deal of concern in the early days, uh, this this study looked at over, I think about 2,500 athletes. And what they found is um, the actual issues were confined to about 1% of that population. and so it was, and it was found that it was only affecting these athletes when they had moderate to severe cases of COVID. So I think this study would suggest that it's it's not the concern, or it's not of 
a serious issue as had initially been um, deemed. So I think that's I think that's good news, a big sigh of relief. Um, I don't think this is by any means the last word on it. As you said, there are lingering and longer term effects that that still may very well emerge. And there are other studies that are starting to be published that it might very well show some different results. But I was very encouraged to see um, this, this recent paper. Are you digging this conversation? We know you are. But perhaps you want to hear a little bit more about the medical device and diagnostics industry. Well, you can do that by simply going to mddionline.com. That's mddionline.com. The medical device and diagnostic industry is a resource exclusively for original equipment manufacturers of medical devices and in vitro diagnostic products. The goal of MDDI is to help industry professionals develop, design, and manufacture medical products that comply with complex and demanding regulations and market requirements. It's also a great place to find all of our content. You can find articles about the industry. You can find these podcasts. Yes, we even host these podcasts so you can catch up on hearing more of my lovely voice. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, but you can definitely hear our podcast uh, from the team and you can check out some of our content. And it's just a great place to connect with the industry and see what's happening in medical devices and diagnostics. And now back to our conversation. I want to switch gears a second and talk about the ECG market. Uh, I want to talk about some of the deals we've seen in it and, and some of the excitement that's uh, kind of surrounding it. Wanted to just get your opinion on that. What do you think is driving all this activity? Uh, is it because we're at the point now where we want to do things from a distance? Is digital health exploding? Is telehealth exploding? What's kind of your opinion um, uh, on the explosion that we're seeing in the market? Or, or am I wrong? Or are we not seeing an explosion right now? No, I, I think we are. Not, not just in cardiology, but I think all across medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, there's obviously a major transition to digital health, um, to remote um, health care. Um, telehealth activities, um, and, and so I, and I think that's that's a major driver right now. It's obviously cost efficient. Um, doctors can make better use of their time over a broader region, um, and it you know it works. Um, I think it also solves a lot of issues um, with the improvements in the technology in IT, in networking, in security. The ability to do this and not run afoul of HIPAA um, or have data breaches. Um, those continue to be concerns, but I, you know, I think that um, security methods are improving, which are are key enablers. Um, also, I think just the, uh, the technology advances in in computers and in very small, um, lightweight, comfortable devices are key enablers for all of this. Um, I think in this particular market segment, the you know the dominant way of recording monitoring a patient has been a Holter recorder, and if anybody if you've, re, if you've ever worn a Holter, it's terribly inconvenient. Yeah, body is covered with wires; you can hardly sleep. Um, nobody can wear these things for more than two or three days. 
And so I think we're at a real tipping point of moving from traditional holders to these very comfortable lightweight devices that um, will record seven, eight days, um, can be analyzed quickly, and support uh, you know, remote health um, care and monitoring. We, we've done some studies with uh, Women's Health Initiative where we were sending out these uh, monitors to women in their 70s and 80s. They were self-applying and sending it back to the doctor for rapid analysis, the work we did with Stanford. And I think it demonstrated clearly that uh, this, this is very viable for, for managing healthcare at a distance in a low cost effective way. Mm -hmm. I, I wanna ask two questions here. Looking back to when you first conceptualized the technology, um, did it ever seem possible that we would get to this point? And to piggyback off of that, where do you see the market? Where do you see the technology in five years from now? Sure. Um, yes, very much so. I, mean, I don't think we would have done this. We didn't think it was going to be useful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, no, I think this is exactly where we thought we'd be. Um, medicine is often slow to change, but I think these technologies are, um, are, are really groundbreaking. Um, you know, they're, they're just tipping the, the balance. Um, very disruptive um, technologies. So I, I think um, this will continue to accelerate. I think there'll be a large transition. The largest part of the, of the ECG monitoring is still on Holter. I think in five years, um, Holter monitoring will be pretty much over and we'll be, we'll be doing multi-lead um, devices that monitor a lot more than just the electrical signals of the heart, but a whole suite of vital signs in the patient, um, which will give the doctors a lot more information and a lot more ability to treat uh, patients in a timely way. Sure. No, no, it makes sense. Makes sense. What would you say um, was maybe the biggest, um, the biggest reason why we still have the Holter monitors? Uh, and and I've, I've seen them before. I haven't worn one personally, but um, I've had some family members that have had to do that, and it just seems so inconvenient when you have these other technologies out here that, that can do the job much easily, much easier. Yes. Well, I think there's several, several things. Um, obviously, you know, the clinics across the country have large financial investments and hold your gear. So they're not, they're not going to throw that away just overnight. So it's going to be a transition as that, as that equipment uh, becomes obsolete or starts to break down and fail. But there will definitely be a replacement of all of that Holter equipment moving to um, these very lightweight, and in our case, disposable. Um, they're so low cost, they're disposable sensors. Um, so, I mean, I think that's the main thing. Uh, I think also, you know, when new technology emerges, uh, CMS sets up reimbursement on a temporary code basis to see how effective it is and what the costs really are before a permanent code is assigned. And you know, there's been a lot of hesitancy because it was on a temp code to jump in. But um, you know, late last year, there was huge excitement that we were finally moving to a permanent code. And we, we all thought that permanent code uh, was going to be at a higher level than was actually established uh, early this year. But I think that caused a huge amount of excitement and awareness. Um, 
And then when the, um, the permanent code was announced, I think that was a little bit of a wet blanket, but then that has been um, upgraded um, to a rate that, I, you know, I think uh, for solo, because of our cost structure and because we're not a service-based company, we're a products company, mm -hmm. um, I think we can, we can really support um, the doctors in a cost-effective um, way with, uh, with our product. I think uh, we'll continue to grow and be exciting. I think the service companies are in a tight spot for the Medicare and Medicaid patients. Um, their cost structure um, is is very high. Uh, it's not clear that they can actually provide a service at the reimbursement rates. But we think that's for us that's a huge opportunity. We're very excited about them. Mm -hmm. And and finally, I wanted to just ask you about. Um, anything in the pipeline that you can perhaps tease to or that you can talk about? Uh, uh, you know, I know that some things might be sensitive, but just anything you can kind of just just tease a little bit for, for our audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I love to, to help lead a team that builds innovative products. And I would certainly not be satisfied if we just sat on our, on our current products. No, we're definitely moving ahead. We uh, we have a, a great program ongoing for the next generation of sensor. I can tell you that it will incorporate um, more measurements of, um, of activities within the body that will be clinically quite useful. Um, we're, we're adding um, additional leads to the system so we get additional views of the heart. These sensors have been primarily used, um, these ambulatory monitors have been largely used for identifying atrial fibrillation which I'm sure you know is increases the risk of stroke by about a factor of five. Sure. And the, uh, the Holter systems um, multi-leads are very effective for looking at ventricular tachycardias and other conditions of the heart where you, you need multiple leads in order to have a clarity on what's going on. So I, you know, I think there's a natural transition to a multi-lead um, low cost ambulatory monitors. And I think that will, Probably be the death knell for the for the holters um, because we can then do everything and probably more um, with these ambulatory monitors than is being done currently in a holter. Mm, understood. Understood. Well, Dave, want to thank you for coming out to Let's Talk MedTech. Um, this was really insightful. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> maybe pun intended. Um, <laughs> But, but thank you for coming out and appreciate uh, having you with us. Omar, it's been a real pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for inviting me and wish you the very best. Thanks. See you next time. Appreciate it. Okay.